Welcome to the Farm Team Podcast, presented by HockeyAI.tech. I'm your host, Elliot Sheen. I'd like to take this opportunity to acknowledge that this episode was recorded in Calgary, Alberta, on the traditional territories of the Blackfoot Nations, which includes the Siksika, the Pekani, the Kainai, and we also acknowledge the Sutina and Stony Nakoda First Nations, the Métis Nation, and all the people who make their homes in the Treaty 7 region of Southern Alberta. Thank you. In today's episode of the Farm Team Podcast, I'm honored to be joined by the Assistant Director of Athletic Facilities and Event Services at Northeastern University, Alexandra Glant. Prior to Northeastern, Alex spent three and a half years in Tallahassee, Florida, working for the Florida State University as the Assistant Director of Event Management. And prior to Florida State, Alex started her career working for the Merrimack College Warriors as the operations and scheduling manager in the Department of Athletics. Alex was born and raised in Salem, New Hampshire, where she grew up as a multi-sport athlete before pursuing softball full-time. In her high school career, Alex pitched her team to two New Hampshire State Championships, which earned her an athletic scholarship to play for the Merrimack College Warriors from 2008 to 2012. Alex graduated from Merrimack with a degree in mathematics and secondary education. She followed her undergraduate degree by pursuing a master's of education degree while working as a graduate assistant in the Warriors Athletic Department. Alex joins me today to discuss a wide range of topics in the sports management and operations field. It is the goal of any athletic department to create an environment where student athletes feel they can thrive. And a major part of that experience comes from the facilities and event management team. Creating an environment where players, coaches, and fans feel comfortable is the first step to running a successful program. And with that, Al, welcome to the show. Thanks, Jainer. It's good to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's, like I said, it's been a couple of years since we had the last time to, to catch up, so I'm looking forward to this conversation. Yeah, I was actually just thinking about this the other day. It's actually been almost eight years since we graduated from our higher education program. Right? Time just flies. It's wild. It does. <laughs> so, and obviously you, you took a, a detour down south to go work in a big school down there. So, I mean, interested to hear kind of what that experience was like and, you know, what some of those things you learned down there that can be applied up uh, back here in New England. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so at, at, like you explained, uh, after working at Merrimack, I did take a leap of faith and going down south. I was kind of just looking for something different. And, you know, Florida State's such a big name. Um, yeah. Never in my life did I think that they would take somebody from a Division II school to go work at a Power 5, D1, you know, huge football program school, um, especially, you know, Florida State's not just successful in their football program, but all of their sports. And um, I, it was an amazing time down there. I was there for three and a half years and um, did a little bit of everything down there on the event and facility management side. Um, and with that experience, you know, led into my position now at Northeastern, I wouldn't have gotten the position I am at Northeastern had it not been for my experience there. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So talking about like your Merrimack experience with the graduate assistant program, um, obviously you got to work hands-on with the operations and scheduling uh, manager at the time. I think it was Ed or Louie or one of those guys. Yeah. Yeah. It was uh, Ed at the time. Yep. <laughs> was it something that you kind of wanted to get into and like throughout your undergrad, were you working with the athletic department and was that kind of experience that, which, you know, pushed you towards that graduate assistant role? So it's funny when, uh, my junior year at Merrimack, um, you know, I was playing softball there. Um, but I was honestly just looking to make some extra money. Um, yeah. and at the time I went to, um, I think I went to Will Rothamel at the time who was the assistant AD for ticketing and I started out actually in the ticket office at Merrimack um, and then from there kind of expanded into other roles. Um, and once I learned like I could make a career out of this, I made the change from, uh, you know, my degree is in education and I made the change over into the athletic side and honestly haven't looked back since. Um, but if it wasn't for my experience at Merrimack and, you know, Will and Dean O'Keefe and Jeremy Gibson taking me on, um, I wouldn't be where I am today. Yeah, it's funny you say you like started in the ticketing booth. The next thing you know, you had... 20 other different roles that you kind of were put on your plate. So I, I feel like they saw an, a good opportunity with a, a worker like yourself and, you know, something that's dedicated to sports to, you know, open up some of those new doors within the athletic department and really give you a good inside look of how things run behind the scenes. Definitely. Especially at a division two program or well, division two school, division one hockey, um, where you got to, you had to do a little bit of everything because we didn't have the staff, like a big power five division one program. Um, so it gave me that experience right from the get-go of trying a little bit of everything and finding, you know, I kind of found my niche in the events and facilities role um, because I was able to do a little bit of everything at Merrimack. Yeah, no, it's, it's awesome. We'll get into that here in a sec, but, you know, obviously, so you're back now in New England. Um, you know, how does that feel being back home? 
It's great to be back home. Um, like I said, Florida State was a fantastic experience, but it's nothing like being back home. And um, Northeastern's such a great school too. I'm really enjoying my time here. Um, it's nice to be back at a Division One school with a hockey program that's also very su successful as well. Um, but it is. It's good to be home. Yeah, the, the, like you said, the women's team. I think I just saw the rankings the other day. They're number two in the country. They are number two in the country. Number one in hockey East. So. Uh, you know, if our team wins out, we're going to be hosting because of COVID this year, we'll be hosting every round of the hockey East playoffs, hopefully at Northeastern. Yeah. Well, what a crazy year for you. I mean, obviously facilities and event management is a big part of the student athlete experience. And then with COVID happening, um, I, I think like, I want to say Northeastern or just Boston in general is one of the first like hubs to kind of shut it down and not really know what to, to do. So what was that kind of early experience of going into COVID and like, you know, when did it become real for you? It was so wild. Um, so at the time, we were actually scheduled that Saturday before everything shut down. We were scheduled to host the NCAA quarterfinal game for our women's team, um, and I felt so bad for them. They they okay. were you know they were slated to really make a run at it last year, um, but you know I think within a course of about forty eight hours, we had almost all of our students off of campus. So it just Boston just completely shut down, um, athletics and otherwise. Um, so at that point, you know, we, we had found out, you know, hockey was going to be shut down and then the spring sports have been canceled and, you know, everything just kind of stood at a standstill. And I felt bad for our student athletes, you know, to just uh, suddenly your season and is just done. Um, so thankfully this year, we've been able to do as much as we can, uh, just to give you a little background on the timeline. Yeah. Uh, Northeastern back at late August said that, uh, they were going to postpone the fall sports to the spring. Uh, so we knew we weren't going to have anything in the fall. And then once, our winter program started going, we did kind of a phased uh, reopening for practices, you know, uh, starting with like small group work and then eventually expanding to larger groups and then to full practices. Um, we were fortunate to be able to get our hockey seasons going about mid-December. Uh, we got both the hockey seasons and basketballs going. Um, and at the time we did have a schedule and, you know, I'll talk about hockey in particular because I work a lot more with the hockey programs with my oversight of Matthews Arena. Um, you know, at the time it was, we had a schedule and then come about mid-January, that schedule just got completely thrown out and Hockey yeah. East decided, hey, we're doing this on a week by week basis. Cause that's really what it was at that point because so many teams were getting shut down at different points. And that made it tough on me and my staff in particular, because, you know, my, a lot of the athletic facilities workers are hourly employees and we put them on overtime for games and I couldn't schedule more than a week out because we just didn't know when we were having games. Um, and yeah, it's been, it's been a wild ride. And now, uh, now we're in that crossover season where we've got spring sports starting, but now we also have fall sports going. Uh, we're actually scheduled to have our first volleyball game tonight. And it's really? just, it's just been wild <laughs> all around. It's just been a crazy year for everybody. Yeah. So I imagine the communication is obviously going to be the most important part of this, especially, you know, to your teams and players, but, you know, coming from hockey East or other governing bodies of the sports that you guys play under, uh, what was the communication like? And it has, was it a, a good form of communication that kind of give, did give you a little bit of heads up and allowed you to use a day or two to kind of make those adjustments? We would get a day's notice, but like yesterday I got a call that we were having a men's soccer game tomorrow. Um, so, you know, it really depends. And, uh, I give hockey East and the CAA a lot of credit, you know, it's, it, this is tough this oh, yeah. is, for, to be able to govern all of these teams and all the scheduling changes and whatnot. Um, I give everybody who works in athletics a lot of credit right now. Um, communication is key and they've done a really good job at it as far as what they know and being able to get to get it out to us when we're playing. Yeah. And obviously you guys have a lot to do too, in terms of the protocol. So is it like, a, do you guys have a standardized procedure for rolling out like you know a competition and all that kind of stuff uh sort of it's kind of you know it's like it kind of had to change this year um especially on the facility side you know um if to give the listeners a little bit of background um massachusetts basically hasn't allowed any fans at any game so uh on my side of things that's made it actually a little bit easier it's kind of one less thing for me to worry about <laughs> but then at the same time hockey east the caa northeastern uh has put together protocols within these games so for example, we try and spread our teams out into different locker rooms as much as possible. Um, you know, at one point we had looked at expanding our hockey benches, but due to how old Matthews Arena is and some of the logistics of that, we weren't able to do that. Um, you know, as those sort of things have kind of changed this year compared to normal years where we do have, you know, normally in a game day, it's, it's pretty systematical, but we've had to kind of change our entire game plan. 
Yeah, for sure. And like, who knows if this is kind of be like a new standard going forward and anything that you kind of implemented now, like I'm sure it'll, you know, into the spring, summer and fall next year will kind of still be relevant at that time. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, and actually I tell our listeners today, they actually just announced that they're opening uh, stadiums at 12% capacity. So I think that's something that we'll be looking at for our spring sports, you know, what's 12% capacity look like, what's the social distancing. And um, over the summer, my team and I kind of did those scenarios. Hey, if we were at 50% capacity, what would this look like? Uh, what is six feet of distancing? How many people could we fit in? So yeah, I do think at least going forward for the near future, we are going to see those still implemented. Yeah, I saw uh, Governor Baker said that you guys could, or the, at least the Bruins anyways, I didn't know it kind of applied to all the sports, but yeah, open up the stadiums or arenas for 12% capacity. Does that affect the outdoor sports then too? Uh, yeah, I think they said something about Fenway Park and, uh, you know, it will affect us, particularly for Matthews Arena, mostly um, yeah. just with the, the hockey and be, it being indoors. Um, but we are going to look at least the last time I heard, we're going to look to see what we can do for our baseball team, which is a smaller stadium mm-hmm. um, that 12% capacity, you know, isn't a lot, but at least it's something, you know, at least the kids parents can come. I, I feel bad we did hockey, hockey senior day last week for our women. And they had to do video, you know, all uh, everybody on the video. And I, I just felt bad. Your parents can't be there for your senior night. Yeah, no kidding. I had a, a girl on the uh, girl on the podcast a couple of episodes ago who was part of that 2020 graduating class where she was playing D3 and all of a sudden they stopped the season. And it's like, as a senior, you're like, what the fuck? Like, you know, it's over at that point. Yeah, it's done. Yep. You yeah. Know, and and then, even last year, like, it's just shut down. That was it. No yeah. abrupt end. It's crazy. So how long have you been with Northeastern then? How long have you been I back? I am, it'll be three years in October. So I'm at about two and a half right now. Awesome. Uh, did you start with this current job that you're in or were, have you kind of worked I, up since then? No, I didn't. So actually I started coming in as the facilities event specialist and um, my role there was kind of more event space than it was on the facility side, if that makes sense, yeah. um, where I would work with athletic and non-athletic events for any needs on the facility side. Um, so I actually had a pretty big role in uh, like commencement, our homecoming show, our spring concert. So I, I do a lot more than just athletics in my job now, which has been great. I, I really enjoy working with the other groups on campus as well. Um, and then the assistant director at the time had left and I was fortunate enough to be able to bump up into this new role. And now, you know, pre-COVID, um, I was involved a little bit more in the athletic facilities. And now with events not really going on besides athletic events, I really have kind of jumped into you know, working with athletic events and what we're doing, especially on the COVID side. Yeah. No, so did you have any familiarity with Northeastern before you went there? Like, was there any connection or is it kind of a new experience for you, even though it's kind of a local place? Not really. You know, the only thing I knew, obviously with, you know, Merrimack being in the same hockey East, you know, that whole sort of bubble, but I didn't actually have any connection there. Um, you know, when I was at Florida State at the time, I was looking to come back home and, um, you know, Northeastern popped up. I was like, wow, that it's a great school. Division one would still keep me in there. And um, yeah, it's been great. Everybody here has been awesome and I've really enjoyed it. So where are you living in Boston? Uh, I'm outside of Boston. I live in the South shore. Uh, my fiance and I bought a house actually right before everything hit. Uh, so awesome. yeah, February of last year. So yeah. So I'm still about an hour out from Boston. Still commuting in. Yeah. Well, I've imagined too, with uh, COVID, it kind of thinned out some of those commutes too, with the amount of cars on the road. So it makes it a lot oh, easier. Yeah. And it's nice yeah, being it's able a- to kind of live that f- a little bit out of the city and, you know, have that separation from the urban living. It is for sure. Um, you know, during the, I'll call it the real COVID shutdown time at March, April, May, uh, my staff was still going in uh, because they kept facilities and uh, Northeastern police on campus because yeah. campus is still there. You still need people there. Um, so during that time, it was taking me like 40 minutes to get to work. Um, and I live like 30 miles outside the city. And now it's up to about an hour, which still is not that bad. Yeah. I'm just having like flashbacks. Uh, was it 95 merged into 93 and then up into the city? Yeah. Yep. That corner oh, was, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that corner always backed up. Yes. Yep. Still does. Yeah. I know for sure. Well, it's awesome that you're back in New England. I bet you feel a little more comfortable and you know, it's a good place to call home. And if you bought a house, it's, it's awesome. So. Yeah. I didn't really miss the winters too much. So I'm still getting used to that. <laughs> Yeah, I know, no, for sure. <laughs> a nice break going down to Florida. But uh, so let's get into your experience of, you know, your athletic and academic journey. Um, obviously, I mentioned you're from Salem, which is very close to Merrimack. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it sounds like you grew up playing a bunch of sports, track and field, basketball, and then decided on softball. 
Yeah. Yeah. I grew up. Yeah. Starting with everything. I played soccer too, back in the day, Um, but really softball was my true love. And I was fortunate enough to be able to get a scholarship to be able to study and play at Merrimack. Um, But I'll be honest with you. um, I I laugh at this because I originally told my parents, I did not want to go to Merrimack because it was so close to home. (laughs) And of course, look what happens. And, you know, I, I I loved my experience at Merrimack and playing there. Um, It was such a good community feel and um, you know, meeting people like like you and like everybody else, uh, you get to know everybody who's there and especially yeah. the student athletes and uh, be able to make those connections there at a smaller school like Merrimack. So what ultimately led you to change your mind and say, oh, Merrimack's actually a good place? And, or did that even happen, you know, going into it or take a couple of years to... You know, it it took a few months. It was like, you know, I I was approached by the softball coach and actually she's still there, Elaine Schwager at the time. And, you know, oh, you should really look here. You should really look here. And I, you know, kind of, oh, well, okay, maybe. And then I, I knew a couple of players on the team just from playing summer softball locally. And, um, you know, that's what really convinced me. There's some, there were some really good people. I was going to still get a really good experience at Merrimack. And, you know, I didn't have to play division one, you know, to still play a very, high level of softball um and i would still be able to get a great education as well there yeah did you know what you wanted to take in school or did that kind of decision happen within the first year or so so i kind of knew um i knew i wanted to get into education i thought i had wanted to be a teacher and clearly i'm not that now um and what ended up happening i'll be honest is um my senior year i did uh student teaching and i had a bad experience and yeah um, you know, and I was working in the athletic department at the time and I was approached, I think by, uh, either Jeremy or Dean O'Keefe. And they said, you know, we would love to have you as a grad assistant or, you know, do a grad fellowship with us and stay on for another year and get your master's. And it was, it was a win-win for everybody. You know, I was able to work for them and I was able to get my master's and, um, it really ended up working out. And I'm so glad that I'm in the field that I'm in now because I can't see myself teaching now and God bless all the teachers right now going through all this and oh. doing the, the zoom classes and everything. Yeah. What was that experience like for you that you kind of made you go turn, turn the other way? Cause I, teaching is not for me either. It's something I can never see myself doing and, you know, just being able to get up in front of 30 students, try to teach them is not what I find to be interesting. And it wasn't, I honestly was better at the one-on-one teaching than the standing in front. Um, And, and I honestly realized that a couple of weeks into my student teaching and I was like, yeah, this is not for me, but I had to stick it out because it was my last semester of senior year and I just I had to stick it out and I had to do it and um, it gave me good experience just as far as working with kids and whatnot but yeah it just it wasn't for me well at least you went out on on a limb too to you know approach the athletic department to say you wanted to get some experience in there even if it was just put a little bit of money in your pocket you know that experience ultimately led you down to your your graduate degree too and um, you know, being able to work with the athletic department too. So I, it was a little bit scary when you realized quickly that you didn't want to be a teacher, like kind of at the end of your academic career. It was, yeah, <laughs> it bet. was. Cause then I was like, wow, I just went through all of that undergrad. I'm not even going to use my degree, but you know what, now looking back on it, there's so much I took from my undergrad experience and my coursework that I'm still applying now that, you know, it might not seem like it's related, but it is, especially working in the college atmosphere. You're still working with students and student athletes. So um, it's still related in, in a sense. Oh yeah. You're constantly, you know, providing good advice and, you know, if just having that teaching experience can arm you with some really good other types of skills, you know, rather than trying to make kids memorize things. So, yeah, especially where, and you know, this, especially working with student workers, you know, they're still learning yeah. and developing and you're trying to teach them what work is like, and, you know, you have to be able to relate to them and to coach and teach them as well. So it's definitely, yeah, it's definitely been relatable. What's that experience been like for you now? I'm sure you have some student workers working for you under your, um, your guidance, I guess. So what, you know, what are some of the things that you try to do that you took, took from your experience working with uh, Will and Brad and those guys uh, to apply now to your student workers? So I, I'm big on like personal development and paying it forward. And um, what's interesting now about my student workers now and my student workers at Merrimack is a lot of my student workers now are actually international. Um, and a lot of them are actually from India. So a lot of them don't understand the American culture. So at the same time as teaching them how, you know, how to work and whatnot and the, the skills of the job, I'm also teaching them the American workforce and what it's like to work in the American job as well. So that's been really interesting. Um, but going back to my Merrimack student workers too, it's funny, uh, I always talk about this in a job interview that uh, we had a big group of baseball kids at the time and they used to call me coach because that's kind of my style of teaching is I, I like to coach people. Yeah. So 
they would just call me coach. And I, I thought it was hilarious, but it kind of fit, uh, you know, my leadership style too. Yeah, no, it's just funny. It's funny how like that works, right? If, as long as you're an open person and people can feel comfortable around you, I think that's what breeds the most success out of anything, right? It's just allowing people to be themselves and, you know, learn from someone like yourself. So um, let's get into the softball career, relive some of those days. So what were some of the highlights from your, um, your athletic days back at Merrimack? And, you know, is there anything that kind of sticks out from year to year? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, I'll go back to high school a little bit because my high school experience really led into the college experience. And I had a great experience in high school where I think three out of my four years, we made it to the state championship game and we won it twice. Um, and I was fortunate enough where um, my my two, my high school softball coach and my college softball coach knew each other really well. So that connection was already there, you know, before I even went to Merrimack. Um, so with my great, you know, softball high school experience, it turned into a great Merrimack experience as well. Now, unfortunately, my freshman year, I actually got injured. Um, so I didn't end up playing as much my freshman year, um, but progressively got more, you know, as I went on. And um, I ended up actually, I got recruited as a pitcher, but then I ended up actually playing outfield more, which was fine. I enjoyed both positions. Um, but it, what particularly sticks out to me, it was my junior year, we made it to the NCAA tournament. Um, yep. And we actually we were, I think we were the four seed in our regional and we ended up actually winning our regional going on to the super regional and ended up losing a super regionals. But um, that was such a fun team and such a fun experience, not just because we were winning, but it was just such a good group. And we really played together as a team. And that's why we were so successful. Who did you guys beat along the way? Oh boy. Oh man. You're digging into the archives. And, well, did, did, did you guys win the NE10 that year too? Uh, I don't know if we won the NE10, but if, I think we... Yeah, these are the archives. We didn't end sure. up winning the any time, but I think we came in second or third. I, I can't remember, but we did, uh, we did make a pretty good run at the end to be able to get us to the tournament. Yeah. And then regionally, who'd you guys beat? Uh, it was LAU post at the time, which I, I don't, or CW post, which is now LAU post at the time, but no, that's who we lost in super regional. We actually beat Dowling. Um, and I don't, actually don't even know if Dowling exists anymore because they were having financial issues. So yeah. it's just, it's weird. The division two landscape has changed so much, um, not just in the softball aspect of things, but just in general, because, uh, you know, I'll get into this a little bit, but the, division one so big and everybody wants to be division one and Merrimack went division one, which I think is great for the school. Um, and then there's a ton of division three schools in this area, but D2 kind of doesn't really fit in that well. So D2 has changed a lot, um, especially in the last few years. What has it turned into more D3 programs or have they made the D1 jump? Uh, a lot more have made the D1 jump, um, but it's kind of, it's interesting because I, I think in the next maybe 10 to 20 years, I think we're going to see this squeeze of division two almost being forced out and we'll see either, you know, schools making the D1 jump or going down to D3. I think it'll be interesting to see what, what comes out of that. Yeah. It's because hockey doesn't really have a D2 level i guess it's either d1 or d3 and then you get into the acha schools right exactly yeah which and i think that's happening with other sports too yeah and a lot of them those acha ones can definitely hold like san jose state university for example and ucla usc like those schools could easily be d1 hockey programs on the west coast it's just yeah. a matter of finding enough talent to make it you know, competitive kind of thing. So, yeah. And I think you'll see hockey on the West coast, especially grow, you know, given Arizona, what Arizona state's done in the last few years, I think you're yeah. going to start seeing it grow out there a lot. Yeah. Women's hockey is, is definitely growing. And I mean, obviously with title nine, it's kind of a, a good thing to bring in the men's and women's programs or turn them into uh, division one programs. So uh, it's exciting. So what's Merrimack? Like how long have they been in D one then? I, I, I knew uh, they were going that way, but, and I think your capstone project was kind of about how to turn a D2 school into a D1 program financially. It was, and that was very interesting. Um, and I'm glad I, I'm glad I did it because it's, it's helped with my job now. Yeah. Um, but so Merrimack has been, I think last year was their first official D1 year. Now, obviously this year has got gotten changed a lot. Um, and you know, through, so when you go from D2 to D1, you actually go like through four years of kind of a trial phase before you can then make the NCAA tournament. So like last year, the Merrimack men's basketball team actually won their conference, but couldn't go to the NCAA tournament because they're still kind of in this trial period. Yeah. It's very interesting how they do this. It's a, yeah, very political type of thing. I mean, you have to have some regulations and oversight, but you know, if a team earns a chance to go to the tournament, you should give them the, the chance to go. 
especially in their first year of D1. I mean, they, they did amazing and what, yeah, what, they couldn't go to the tournament. What's the, what's the conference that are, are they in the Patriots? Uh, the NEC, so Northeast conference. Northeast. So who, who now are their competitors? Uh, so Brian's in it. Um, I think it's Lehigh, Robert Morris. Um, some of those more kind of smaller, some, some are Catholic colleges, some are not, um, you know, it's, it's kind of a weird conference. It's a little bit all over the place. Yeah. Have you gotten back to Merrimack recently? Or <laughs> Actually, I, the last time I was back at Merrimack was Monique's wedding, which yep. was now four or five years ago. Um, and I didn't even even go over to the athletic complex because I was at the church for her wedding. Um, yeah. So I really honestly haven't been back since probably I worked full time there and I left for Florida, which was in 2015. Yeah, that's crazy. I haven't been back in a long time too. And I can't wait to go back because I feel like they've made a ton of changes and added new buildings and you know, yeah. new, new facilities, et cetera. So mm-hmm. that's awesome. So yeah, let's get into your Florida state experience. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like you had mentioned, you couldn't believe that they gave a, took a shot in the dark on, you know, someone coming from D2 to a big powerhouse school. So what was that experience like uh, in terms of like the interview, well, finding the job to interview with getting the interview and then obviously taking a leap of faith and moving down there? Yeah. So at the time uh, I was at Merrimack for about two, two and a half years and I had been there through undergrad and through grad school. So I had been at Merrimack, I think a total for about seven years at that point. So I was just ready for a change. And, you know, I really enjoyed the people that I worked with, but I was just ready for a change. And I actually found the job on the NCAA jobs listing website. And I was like, well, I'm just going to throw a shot in the dark here. I've always wanted to live in Florida. Let me just throw in an application. And I couldn't believe when I got a phone call from my, from my boss at that time. And you know, uh, saying uh, they wanted me for a phone interview. I was like, really? Like, you wanted me for a phone interview? And um, I got, a ch- or I got a chance to interview with them. And then they said, hey, we want to fly you down here for the job. And I was like, no, you don't. Are you serious right now? Yeah, so um, I, I, again, I still can't, I still can't believe that I, I got the opportunity to get down there. And then when they told me I had gotten the job, I, I was like, I was shocked. I, again, I couldn't believe that they, they would take a chance on me. And, you know, at that time, I, like I said, it was ready for a change. So I, I took the leap of faith. I, packed my car up I with just my car. I drove with my dad uh, 24 hours, not straight, but 24 hours total down to Tallahassee, found a small little apartment with somebody um, that I barely knew. Uh, and <laughs> we lived together. We were still really good friends. And now she actually is the director of champ, uh, sorry, director of compliance at the ACC. Um, awesome. And, you know, I got to make a lot of those connections there. Um, but it was, it was a great experience being 25 years old, just taking a chance on it. And uh, I spent three and a half years there and it, it was incredible. Um, I'm not, you know, it being at a power five, like I said, D one school, big time football program. It, it was amazing. So, yeah, I bet for you personally, it was probably like an awesome experience, you know, be proud of yourself too, for getting that job. And they see something in you and you come down and now you have to kind of make a statement and, you know, learn, learn the, the ins and outs of that huge school. So, you know, yeah, those first couple thing, months, like, what was it like? Yeah, that, that was the thing. Like I got the job. Great. But now I had to, I had to prove myself. Um, so when I first started down there, they split up um, the event management group um, where you had basically a fall and a spring sport. And then everybody worked football. That's just how it was down there. Everybody worked football, no matter what. Um, so at the time I had volleyball and I had men's and women's golf as my spring sport. Um, I awesome. had never done a golf tournament in my life. Um, it was learning from the ground up and um, I give, I give full credit to my mentors, Bernie Waxman and Stuart Pierce, um, who were down there. They, they took me under their wing and just, you know, taught me everything that they knew as well. Um, and, you know, vo- volleyball is, is a big program down there too. Really, honestly, all the sports at Florida state were so successful. I think it was my second year there. Every single team at Florida state made the NCAA tournament. Um, really? it was wild. Yeah. yeah. So we, and we also hosted everything we could um you know we put in bids for ncaa regionals and super regionals and um because of our good weather down there um you know softball baseball we had a ton of home games so um you know i, I worked a lot <laughs> i got a lot um i think that's one of the things that people don't understand about like they think working in sports is like oh you get to watch games all the time you know i'm honestly lucky if i get to watch games um i am usually behind the scenes making sure things are are right and everything's running smoothly and um, yeah, it, it, especially down there, you know, they, they had a high standard not to say that Northeastern and Merrimack doesn't, but it was a very high standard down there that we were held to. And, um, it, but it was great. I learned a lot. Yeah. It, I mean, it's a massive moneymaker for the school. That's probably their, 
main way of making money is through ticket revenue. So, you yeah. know, being able to provide that, like I said, provide that experience where, you know, players, coaches, and fans can come in there and, you know, feel comfortable and, you know, get, have a really good uh, event and experience overall is, is what it's all about. So. Yeah. I'll never forget my first football game down there. Um, it was, you know, probably three months into the job, my first football game sold out, you know, it, they were playing some, I think they were playing Texas state. So not really a big name. Um, 85,000 fans doing the war chant. I'm standing on the field. I'm like, I can't even believe this is real right now. I'm actually watching this. It, it was so cool. Yeah. It was that Jameis, James, was it Jameis Winston at the time? Was he there? So no, Jameis actually left probably about a month before I had gone on there. Um, but Dalvin Cook was there for two years while I was there. Are, are they, were they coming off a national championship? Didn't they win one? They did in 2013 and I started okay. there in 15. So they were, they were two years removed from the national championship at that time. They still had a very good football team. Oh yeah. I'm sure. Like it's insane. It's cool that you were able to do the, the golf tournaments. Like let's, cause I mean, f- coming to going to Merrimack every Labor Day or that September long weekend, uh, they had the Deutsche Bank um, mm-hmm. golf playoff, right. And down in, in, I think it was, was it Norton, Norton Mass? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So we go down there and I mean, golf is one of my favorite events there is, especially just l- watching it live and being able to interact with the you know, players as they're coming by. So, I mean, obviously NCAA golf is huge. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was that like? What was it like for you? And were you pretty excited when you got assigned to, to golf? You know, it's also, yeah, I was excited learn, and but... I was nervous because I just, I didn't know anything about it, but my, uh, my, my mentor, Stuart Pierce at the time, um, had done it for the last six years. So he awesome. like, he like knew it and was passing it on to me. Um, but it, it was interesting. Um, cause it's such a home with college golf. It's such a homegrown experience where, you know, the PGA it, it's like that this show, uh, almost. And in college yeah. golf, it's not like that. Cause you don't have the, the money for that. So, you know, the golfers are carrying their own bags. They don't have caddies. Um, you know, as far as scorekeepers, like those are my volunteers. So, um, it was interesting and we were fortunate enough at Florida state where we had a golf course on campus, um, and a practice facility there. So, you know, I, I got to know the course. Well, I, I'm not going to lie. I, I played golf. I got to play the course a few times, but, awesome. um, it was really fun and a good, a good experience because golf is organized chaos. You know, it's, it's so spread out. Whereas a lot of other sporting events are kind of centralized into one area. Yeah. Uh, so I had to learn a lot on that aspect too. Did you travel with those teams to Go to other I did. Events? So, so the, the biggest event I ever went to is I, the, my last two years there, I was um, on the softball staff um, and in 2018, they won the national championship. I got to go to Oklahoma city. Um, oh yeah. Oh, it was amazing. Uh, but I also, for golf teams, I actually got to travel with the women's golf team. I think my first year there to Ohio state um, to go to their regional. So it was so cool. You know, it was kind of a reward for us. We were still kind of working in some aspect. They give us something to do with the team. Uh, but it was cool for me because I really enjoy going to other schools and seeing other facilities and how they run events and whatnot. Um, so like Ohio State was unbelievable. It was huge. Um, I've been to a lot of big name schools. I've been fortunate to do that. To go to Oklahoma City to see where the World Series is played. Um, I've been to LSU, you know, a lot of, a lot of those big name schools. And it's, it's really fun for me. Did they, like, would you guys bus around or like you travel separately or were you flying with the teams? So, so for the most part, we would fly with the teams. Uh, when I went to LSU, I remember I bust with the volleyball team. But when we went to the World Series, it was like a charter flight, uh, you oh, know, yeah. the, the whole shebang. I had never been on a charter flight before. I was like, wow, this is so cool. We're going directly to Oklahoma City. Like, Yeah, right. You don't show your ID. Just get on and go. Yep. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. So I mean, that, that experience must have been huge for you, right? And then I was, like, at what point did you, you know, did Northeastern just come on up as availability or is- I'm not kind of really. Searching. Um, at the time, I had some personal things that had happened, and uh, I was kind of looking to move back home. Um, and again, I love my experience at Florida State. I have nothing but good things to say about there. But um, you know, I was just kind of looking to come back. And yeah. uh, again, Northeastern, I just kind of happened to stumble upon. And um, you know, my boss at the time, who's now the assistant AD at Harvard, um, who was another great mentor to me, um, took me under his wing and um, got to teach me a lot of things, especially about Matthews Arena and kind of. Now my job is a little bit more on the facility side rather than the event side of things. Um, and yeah. with Matthews Arena, it's so unique, you know, being a hundred-year-old building and yeah. some of the things that goes al- go along with that. And Northeastern being in the middle of this urban campus, and you know what comes along with that. And um, so yeah, so kind of stumbled upon the Northeastern position to come back up here. Yeah, and obviously, you said you, a new opportunity came up within the 
the department. So you, you took that and pursued that. Uh, so what's it been like, you know, working with the Matthews arena and kind of, you know, overseeing some of the, the events that come in and out of there. Are you doing like spring, do they have spring concerts there and all that kind of stuff? Or is- well, we were pre COVID. Yeah. So pre, yeah. Um, every, every year we do a homecoming headliner show, which is usually a comedian and that's usually in the fall. And then oh, that's sweet. we do a spring concert, um, you know, somebody you know like at Merrimack they would do just somebody not not a huge name but they bring somebody in do a concert and what's unique about Matthews is again like I said it's a hundred year old building um <laughs> the the hallways are tighter the the ceilings are shorter there's a lot of that aspect that you have to work along with it um, with it being such an old building um the most interesting thing I think I've learned is just the process of ice in and ice out of and how ice works at a hockey arena because I had no idea before with Merrimack, I was doing a lot more of the ops and the event side of things, not the facility side. And now jumping on the facility side and learning all this new side, uh, especially of hockey, it's just ice is just so much to maintain. And it's been a good learning experience because like I said, I had no idea before how much actually goes into making a sheet of ice. Well, I, I don't know too much about that. So let's shed some light on that. What, uh, mm-hmm. what are some of the things that, you know, kind of are interesting to, to you? Yeah. So, I mean, before I'm like, oh, the Zamboni, you know, just dumps water out on the ice. That's how they make the ice. Right. And (laughs) I'm learning there's a whole process of like scraping down the ice, how much water you have to put on there, um, you know, edging the corners and everything. I'm like, wow, this is a process. This isn't just throwing water on a sheet of ice. Um, And then, you know, like the cooling systems too, that are underneath. um, Matthews uses a glycol system and you know, we use ammonia to cool, which is kind of old school, you know, ammonia is not really safe either, but we've been grandfathered in. Um, but, you know, learning all of that, has just been so interesting to see what goes into, uh, again, the hockey side of things. Yeah. Well, so here's a question for you. Like when they want to put new uh, advertisements on the ice, I always wondered this the same thing. Do they have to melt the entire ice or do, are they able to like isolate that spot, paint it and then refreeze it kind of thing? So normally like in a, nor- you know, we don't, you, you can't really change it out. Once it's, once it's in, it's basically in because that whole, um, at least our, uh, and I don't know how other arenas do it, but ours are, our logos are mesh and then we, we paint them and then we, we seal the ice on top of it. And once that ice is sealed on top of it, it's really hard. You, you'd have to melt the whole ice down to be oh, able okay. to put a, a new one back in. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, so that's a good thing. Like obviously Matthews is old as, old as hell. So what, uh, is there anything on the, Sorry, the lights coming up here. Uh, is there anything? Are they talking about like tearing it back down or you're tearing it down to rebuild a new one? Or is it kind of that you want to keep that as a heritage building? Yeah. So they, they've thrown around both ideas of tearing it down. But again, it's a, it's a historical building in Boston. Yeah. So I'm not sure that that's going to fly as much as doing some sort of renovation. Um, but now, you know, with COVID kind of putting everything on hold, there's there's been a lot of talk of doing something, but nothing definitive has kind of come up. Um, but yeah. they do know they need to kind of do something because. The age of the building is just showing a little bit more now. What's, what's the quality? Like, is it still in good quality though? Like have the pretty up to date, I guess, in some of the things. Cause I do yeah, remember I those hallways are really small, but you know, you can only do so much about that. Those are still the same. Uh, you know, we've updated, I think it was before I got there. So I want to say it was maybe six or seven years ago. They updated the seating in there. Um, the, the lobby side of things is still pretty small. The hallway is still pretty small. So that's the thing. It hasn't really been brought up to those modern, amenities but it's still a very functional building for hosting hockey games for sure are there any big events were there any big events scheduled to come in uh well i will say right before covid hit last year we you know we were gonna have our spring concert and we host commencement actually matthews arena so um that got shut down last year and now now there's talks about bringing it back again into some capacity um commencement's really the big one just because so many turnovers and so much that we do day to day um during commencement week of you know, changing seats, changing stage setups and doing all of that stuff as well. Yeah. No, that's pretty cool. I, yeah. Obviously you got thrown a curveball, and there's a lot new things in it. It's a, it's a day-to-day process for you guys. I imagine too, of, you know, keeping mm-hmm. up to date with everything. Um, so like what, uh, what am I trying to thought there? For, I forgot what I was going to say. That's uh, all right. <laughs> No, no worries. Um, yeah, because obviously, like, you know, having big events on campus is, you know, a forte of your guys'. Oh, actually, that's what it was. So uh, in order to get a big event on campus or, like, to host an, a national NCAA tournament, those kind of things, um, did you have any – I think you can mention in Florida State you had some experience of writing those proposals. And, you know, how do you go about getting a big tournament like that to come to your campus? Sure. So I'll talk about the sports side of things first before I talk about the non-athletic events. So um, for the NCAA, if you 
you have to put in a bid to host um, yeah. either regionals, super regionals, um, if they're, you know, doing them on campuses. So like, you know, for example, the Frozen Four is always hosted at a certain site, but if you're going to be one of the on-campus sites for one of the first rounds, if the, you know, Women's Hockey does that, um, you actually have to submit a bid to the NCAA. And, um, you know, some of them are pretty extensive where you have to include facility maps, um, locker room plans, uh, staffing plan. So it's, it's pretty extensive what the NCAA asks of you, but for the most part, year to year, a, a lot of those things stay the same. Yeah. Um, so that makes it pretty easy. Um, so that's that on the sense. athletic side of things. On the non-athletic side of things, particularly, I'm going to talk about Northeastern a little bit more. Um, because we're in the city of Boston, if we have like a concert or something, we have to get an entertainment permit and we go through our city and community affairs group to get that. Um, and that's, that's a big thing as far as a big obstacle with the city. That actually takes some time to get. Um, but then from there, you know, we're working with uh, the production company as far as load in of the stage. Uh, we got to put our floor down if we've got ice down. Uh, load in the stage, load in the chairs. Um, so I get my staff, we order chairs, uh, we set them up, uh, you know, taking the glass down. All of that also comes into play when we host something where you have to change an ice hockey arena, you know, um, into a concert event. But we also, too, I don't think I mentioned this yet, we in a normal year host men's basketball at Matthews Arena. Um, so we in a normal year do do a lot of changeovers to yeah. basketball setup. We haven't had to do that this year because our men's basketball team is playing where the women play over at the Cabot Athletic Center. Is that part of Northeast still? Yes, it is. Yeah. Yep. It's just like a, a kind of a practice facility more or less or small. Yeah, so, so, so I compare it to like uh, at BU, they have a Gannis arena um, and they host the men's hockey. And um, I know they haven't hosted men's basketball there, but they could, I would compare it to like, you know, having something at like Walter Brown on the hockey side, but like having it for basketball, if that makes sense, yeah. it's just a smaller venue. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, it's, it's insane how much, like, those facilities that have pro hockey or basketball, like, the turnover, like, they could do it the same day type of thing. You just have to be very well synchronized and know what's going on. It's crazy. And and we typically, we've done overnight flips, too. Um, you know, my staff is, I'll, I'll say, is does a fantastic job, but we just don't have the resources like a professional team does. Uh, so oftentimes, I've got most of my staff in, plus student workers, plus some you know, outside contracted laborers as well to do a hockey to basketball flip. Do you guys work with the stagehand union out in Boston? Have you ever heard of that? Are you familiar with it? I haven't. No, no. no. I'm not when I was in that. Chicago, like we would do like anytime there's a, a concert at like Soldier Field or um, United Center, like that kind of stuff, they always had to hire local stagehands, they call them too. So I, mm -hmm. I, I can't imagine it applies on a, a college campus as much as it would an outside venue, but um, yeah. it seems like there are local labor unions that kind of help out. But if you have students, yeah. you know, that can help out and earn money, then that's a better yeah. route, I think, right? So yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. If we can, if we can pay our students, we usually try to go that route, but we do for, for especially basketball hockey, where it's just heavy lifting, we do uh, contract with some outside laborers as well. That's awesome. Uh, so in terms of any championships coming up or how's the, how's the spring seasons looking? Yeah. So I'll start with hockey. Obviously we talked about our women are number two in the country right now, number one seed in hockey East and uh, with uh, hockey East not using the garden this year, they're doing all on campus games. So uh, you know, highest seed hosts. So if our women went out, we're going to be hosting, uh, we could host the hockey East championship next Saturday at our venue. Um, we've actually got the women playing this Sunday, the quarterfinal game. Um, and then our men who are currently, I think they're currently either fifth or sixth, uh, this weekend's big for them playing Providence and, um, depending on where they see it as well, we could host a portion of the hockey East tournament as well. Um, and also given our women's position right now being number two in the country, they have a strong chance of at least hosting an NCAA quarterfinal game, um, as well in our arena. Um, as far as the spring and fall sports go, I'll be honest, they haven't really started because it's still kind of February. So we're just really kicking off the season. So, uh, We'll see what comes into play for those as well. Are all the students on campus? Is that? So we do. Uh, yeah. we, so we put it out there that if students wanted to come on campus, that they could. Um, Northeastern's done a hybrid model this year where you can either take your class in person or do it online. So we have had a lot of, we actually had a probably, if I remember it was like 65% of kids said they wanted to come back to campus. Oh, I think yeah. they just missed, yeah, I think they just missed the student experience and just being around their friends. Um, you know, after, you know, being sent home back last March. Um, so we've had a lot of kids on campus, but I've noticed that, you know, there's not as many staff. It, it is still reduced and the city is so quiet. I know you probably haven't been back to Boston, but 
it is so, so quiet still. Um, it's, it's amazing. You know, um, usually it's a crowded city, lots of traffic and it hasn't been that way. It's been, it's been weird, but, um, Northeastern, I, I give them props. They've done a really good job throughout this whole thing, uh, with all the students, not just student athletes, um, of making sure of them being safe and, you know, uh, our testing program, uh, everybody on campus is tested three times a week, students, staff, everybody. It's, it's great because, you know, they can catch it early and then isolate you if you need to. We've done wellness housing. We've done, you know, on the facility side of things, you know, as soon as somebody tests positive or there's a close contact, they go right in, clean the room to make sure that that spread's not happening. So again, like yeah. I said, give Northeastern a lot of credit. It's a huge undertaking. Was there any shut, was there a shutdown earlier in the year? Uh, so, well, we, all the students left last March and then, you know, we decided to bring all our kids back, you know, that last week of August, but we haven't really had a, I'll call it a quote unquote shutdown. We've had, yeah. you know, if people test positive, we've had them isolated, but we, we've haven't had to shut down campus fortunately, which has been really good. Yeah, that's good. And ho hopefully everything's kind of trending upwards now and, you know, we yeah. get over that, the flu season call it. Um, mm -hmm. It's similar here in Alberta, but I mean, they just put another 90 day lockdown on, not a lockdown, but a state of emergency in the city, which I think yeah. also allows them to get national, you know, emergency funding by declaring that state of emergency. Mm -hmm. So it's not necessarily an emergency, but things are slowly starting to open up and uh, the yeah. old indoor social gather, social gatherings are still banned, but um, the nice weather is coming back here finally. So hopefully things do turn around and it is a big announcement with uh, governor Baker coming out saying, you know, at least 12%. It's a good start. You got to start somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. We're looking forward to having fans back in the stands. It's been just really weird not having fans. You oh, know? I bet. It's, it, yeah. It's, it's just our staff and like, you know, we can't, we can't really cheer because we have to kind of be a little bit non-biased because we're working there, but you know, goal scored and it's just, you hear the goal horn and nothing else. It's yeah. so, so weird. Hear guys like breathing on the ice. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> Honestly. Uh, so in terms of like money, like, I was, you guys lost a ton of revenue this year from ticket sales and so what's is interesting is northeastern doesn't really rely on their revenue as much as like a florida state does um yeah you know with northeastern not having football for example um you know we did we did lose some revenue not having the, the men's and women's hockey ticket sales the basketball ticket sales uh, but not as much as you would think as compared to like a florida state who you know i still have some colleagues back there who you know lost a ton of revenue because they didn't have their football season because really their football program runs their athletic department. Um, yeah. Also, I'm sure it gives some money back to other parts of the university as well, where Northeastern, it's kind of the opposite. Like the university kind of more funds the athletic department rather than relying on that revenue, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, for sure. It's some like a football program that subsidizes everything on campus, I'm sure. So uh, yeah. have, you, have you been back to Florida anytime recently since I you left? I did. I went back for a wedding. So that must have been last September. No, well, two September, September of 2019. It was, uh, so I have been back. Yes. Yeah. That's so, awesome. And I was planning on going to down for a football game last year because my fiance works at Boston College and Boston College and Florida State play each other. And we That's were right. going to go down last year and then everything got shut down. So yeah, it's locked in the house now. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> no, that's awesome. Well, yeah, is there anything else that you you know, thought of that you wanted to, to bring up on the podcast or um, any nice. advice that you really want to impart <laughs> on the audience? Yeah, so I guess, uh, you know, I talked about earlier how, you know, the perception of working in sports is, you know, oh, you get to just stay and watch games. So, um, you know, I just want to put that out there to the listeners that like, you know, the behind the scenes is so much, there's so much that goes into it and that yeah. a lot of people don't even realize. And you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of blood, sweat and tears that really goes into a job like this. There's a lot of long hours, um, late nights, you know, working weekends. And a lot of people don't want to do that, but, um, that's just, that's what it is when you work in, in the sports environment. And, you know, for me, it has been so fun. I've met so many great people and, um, gotten the chance to experience and go to a lot of different places, but, um, that's not to say that it, it, it is a lot of hard work. And, um, I hope the listeners appreciate, you know, everybody that works in a game aspect or in an athletics department, especially given the environment that we're in right now. 100%. especially like, cause our focus is kind of more towards like the minor hockey associations, there's minor youth sports, that type of stuff. But a lot of these associations are ran by volunteers. They're not paid employees, especially at that age. Right. So it, being able to have time to volunteer, to have a good program is, you know, something that's worth its weight in gold for, for a lot of those. So, but it, Absolutely. you know, having that, uh, 
the behind the scenes and working with that athletic department, you guys are, you really do form a good like family type situation where you guys are together all the time. And a lot of people just rely on you guys to make all of it happen. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah. And you do become a family because it's not a nine to five job. You know, you are there sometimes nine to five, but you're, you're mostly there, you know, nine to 10 PM. You know, I remember working football game days at Florida state. Those were 15 hour game days at a minimum. (laughs) Oh yeah. So you do, you become a family and you know, whether you love it or hate them, they're your family and you have to rely on each other, especially through those, those hard times, those busy seasons. Uh, Do you got, do you get any time off in the summer or what's that kind of look like? Yeah, typically, you know, the summer really kind of slows down. Um, I'll talk, you know, Northeastern mostly, um, you know, but once commencement hits, it, it we still have baseball kind of going on through May, but then, you know, June, July, August is, is pretty slow until the students come back and we start yeah. pre-seasons for uh, those fall sports like field hockey and soccer. Um, when I was at Florida State, again, because our teams were so successful, baseball would usually go into June we would have maybe July off and then football preseason starts like August 1st. So yeah. um, the, the, you do get some time in the summer, but sometimes it's short and sweet and you gotta, you gotta enjoy the time that you get off for sure. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, reset and then get right into it for another year. I feel like that type of career like, just flies by. Like it's just it like does. it all kind of blends into the other kind of thing. Right. So it does. Like, like I said to you earlier, I can't believe that it's been eight years since our higher education program. So I've been, you know, in my career for almost eight years now and I, it's flown. I, I still can't believe how fast the time has gone. Yeah. I mean, Northeastern is a great university too. So if you can stick that out for the longevity of it and if they're, you know, you could be, I've, I'm sure being an athletic director is on your, your radar at some point. Potentially. Yeah. You know, it, it's interesting because the athletic director role is, um, it just really depends on the school. Um, you know, like Florida state, for example, is so high level and you're doing like fundraising and meeting with trustees and, you know, these yeah. millionaires and doing that stuff, it, you know, when, when you think, you know, if somebody, if that's your career goal, you really got to think about what type of school you want to go to, too. Um, but not just for an athletic director role, but for any role, like, does this school fit kind of what I'm looking for? And, you know, uh, working at Merrimack, you know, it was great to be at my alma mater and be able to give back there. Florida State, you know, was extremely high level, and I enjoyed it. But I wasn't sure, you know, for the long term, could, did, could I sustain that? And, now being at Northeastern, it's kind of a hybrid of the two. And I, re- again, really enjoy being here and um, still being at the division one level, but maybe not as demanding as some of the power fives are. Yeah, no, it's great to hear that you're enjoying it. I would say that's, uh, you know, it's the goal for everyone is just enjoying what they're doing. So um, you've, you've, you know, grinded a lot of years here and, you know, you're finally in a position where um, you are close to home and you have that connection back to New England. And, um, this experience that you're learning now can really take you anywhere at this point. So. Yeah, definitely. Awesome, Al. Well, I appreciate you taking the time uh, for joining me on the podcast and we'll definitely be in touch. Uh, I feel like, you know, some of the questions we have about the NCAA, I'll be pointing your way. So yeah, um, sounds good, Shainer. Thanks yeah, for having me. I appreciate yeah, absolutely. it. Absolutely. Yeah. Great to catch up with you all. We'll cool. talk soon. We'll talk soon. Okay. Take care. You too. Bye.